Good morning again, everybody. So, um, if you're new here today, um, we are just taking a bit of time to go through what are the main core values of our church. And so, we just started that last week, talking about the fact that we are a church that believes in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, we're continuing that again today. So, as I said on the newsletter, this, these values are kind of a work in progress. So they're not all like neat and tidy just yet. Um, they're a bit kind of slightly long-winded and not quite perfect. And, and that's kind of the plan because actually it's in the kind of working through them that you start to work out what is the main thing that we want to be saying here. So our value that we're going to be looking at this morning is this. We are a church where we expect that we can encounter God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and know him and be known by him. So you all need to know that off by heart by the end of the service. We are a church where we expect that we can encounter God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and know him and be known by him. And that also encapsulates something of worship. So this also has been, we are a worshipping church. This is the kind of area that we're talking about this morning. And so we're going to explore that a little bit together. When we start to talk about worship, one of the things that happens really, really rapidly is that we start talking about ourselves. So when we have a discussion about worship, we immediately start talking about our style of church or which songs we like or which songs we don't like or whether we like led prayers or whether we like spontaneous praying. And quickly, it becomes about me, what I like. We take the same approach that we take to most things, which is a consumer approach to our conversations around worship. Do I prefer it when the organ is played? If so, the 915 is open, and we sometimes have the organ for the 915. Do I prefer just the piano? Do I like quiet drums or loud drums? Do I like multiple instruments? Do I like the orchestra that we had at Christmas? Do I like songs that are primarily written in the 1980s or the 1780s? And it easily becomes a big conversation about us. But the thing about worship is this. It all starts with God. It all starts with God. Everything else is, quote, cosmetic. But it all starts with God. It all starts with the fact that God's desire is to reveal himself and to be known. Now just let that sink in for a moment. Because we've just been singing a bunch of songs and some of you will have been going, I don't know this one, don't like this one. That's not how we did it last week. (laughs) See, I can see into your soul, I know. But actually, the truth is that this is all about God's desire to reveal himself and to make himself known. And isn't that amazing? Isn't it? Thank you. The God who made all things, who holds it all together, who breathed life into our very beings, wants us to know him. As I was uh, thinking about this, I was um, having a bit of a run down the Twitter feed, like you do. And I came across this amazing tweet, and I thought, wow, that just says 
so much this morning. And uh, it's by Pope Francis. And he said this, Worship involves making an exodus from the greatest form of bondage, slavery to oneself. Worship means putting the Lord at the centre and not ourselves. Isn't that good? Because actually immediately we're going, I'm at the centre. Even when we are worshipping together, still I put myself at the centre. Don't you do that? I feel a bit cold this morning. I'm frozen. It's all about me. But actually it really isn't. It's all about him. It's about taking that step out of our slavery to ourselves and saying, God, it's all about you. And nothing else much matters. If the things that we are singing are biblically secure then none of the rest of it really matters. The tune, the music, the musicians, whatever. It's all about him. And that's such a great challenge, putting the Lord at the center and not me. Taking that, making that choice to step away from a slavery to myself and my own opinions, so wonderful as they are, and look towards Jesus. The theme for Spring Harvest 2021, as in not this year, was determined in 2019, and uh, and quite early on as well. And we gather together, and we pray, and we seek God as to what he would like us to do, because it's so long away that, you know, you can't sort of judge it in the moment. You have to have a sense of what will be right. And uh, together, there was a whole bunch of different options, really. We all agreed that we wanted the theme to be about worship, which it hasn't been, maybe like ever, And so we conversed around that, and there was lots of different ideas, all of which I'm sure you can probably imagine. But we couldn't nail a title. Everything we came up with, it was just like, oh, that's not quite right. That's just a bit for a title. And so we have this meeting where we have to choose the title because because the marketing is dependent on the title. And So we have to choose the title. And we've got all these things on the table, but nothing is quite right. And... So I travel on the train down to the meetings and I'm thinking about this in my head and, and we pass an EE advertising board. And I have no idea what the rest of the board said, but this one word leapt out at me. And so I messaged everybody else and went, I don't know if this is the right thing, but somehow this word just leaped out at me. This is the word unrivaled unrivaled that's the title for spring harvest 2021 unrivaled because when it comes to worship it's so easy to start with us and this word says it starts with God it's all about him Exodus 20 Moses says to the people one of the ten commandments you shall have no other gods before me And later on in chapter 34, after they've worshipped the golden calf, he says again to them, do not worship any other god. Somebody once said, he is Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. Do you get that? He is Lord of all, or not Lord at all. You cannot have a Lord and then put yourself in that place. Either he wears the crown, or you do. In our worship, either he wears the crown, or somebody else does, or something else does. He is unrivaled. He is God of gods. 
Not God amongst the gods, God over all gods. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is unrivaled for our worship and the whole of our lives. He is worthy of it. Do you get that? It has to start with him. It has to start with God himself. The cry of the first believers was this, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now, I kind of dare you to go and stand on a street corner after church this morning and, and shout loudly, Jesus is Lord, and see what happens. Because reality is, and skipped, and that probably mostly nothing will happen. I mean, some people might look at you and think that you're a bit weird, and, and you might be a bit weird. But nothing will happen. But when these believers said, Jesus is Lord, the cry of the people of the Roman Empire was, Caesar is Lord. And to say that Jesus is Lord was a polemic. It, it asked for confrontation, for conflict, for people to get upset with you because there was only one Lord and his name was Caesar. And if you said Jesus is Lord, that wasn't good for you. And that's why the Christians got thrown to the lions because they said that Jesus was Lord. My friends across the globe today, there are many people for whom when they say Jesus is Lord, they put themselves at total risk. This is a cry of worship, a cry of affirmation that means that they will most probably end up in a cell. They may end up dead. They will end up tortured, stripped from their families because this is worship at its deepest level, the cry that Jesus is Lord, that he is first and no other person or place or religion or anything else is first. Jesus is first. And so that's where we have to start with our worship, is who is Lord? Who is this really all about? If we go back to the very beginning, we find that we were made to be in relationship, in continuous encounter with God. God made Adam and Eve in his image. He made them so that he could communicate with them, so that he could have a relationship with them. And there's that beautiful section in the beginning of Genesis that talks about the Lord walking with them in the garden. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that what you aspire to, that your communication with God is so free, that it's just like walking with him in the garden, that you just have a chat with him? See that thing in the newspaper? Can we talk about this thing that's going on in my family right now? By the way, I just want to tell you how amazing you are. You just have that kind of open, free-flowing relationship that we were made for. If we go right to the other end, we find that we are destined for eternal, unhindered relationship with God in glory around the throne. Well, that sounds quite cool to you, doesn't it? That we are going to be there forever. And I know we can't understand forever. We're going to be there forever. In the presence of God, unmarred by sin and sorrow and sickness and all those things. In the presence of God himself, forever, joining with all of the angels, myriads of them, and the heavenly hosts, to offer our worship to the King of Kings. And all eternity will not be enough to tell God how worthy he is. 
So those of you struggling with 20 minutes of worship, which is <laughs> maybe all of us actually at times, isn't it? It's going to be a whole different level of just being in the presence of God. So if that's what we were made for, and if that's what we are destined for, then how do we work out the stuff in the middle? How do we do this stuff here, now? You know, in the Old Testament, God gave them a system of sacrifices so that they could be somewhere near to him, so that they could speak to him, so that they could offer him worship, so that their sin might be forgiven, so that they could say thank you. But it was so lacking, even this way of worship that God had ordained for them. You know, women and Gentiles could only ever be in the outer courts of the temple. I suspect that's pretty much all of us. Men, lucky you, you could be a little bit closer. And the priest could be just a little bit closer. But only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies where the uh, Ark of the Tabernacle was. And only once a year, and only with lots of ritual and regulation. God primarily dwelt in the temple. And that's where he was, and that's where you found him. But you were always distant. You could bring your lamb and you could bring a bull or a pigeon or whatever you could afford or whatever was required by the sacrifice and you would shed its blood because without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness for sin but you could never really come very close to the living God. And the whole book of Hebrews is talking about how Jesus is better. He is better than the law for allowing us to know God. He is better than Melchizedek, the king and priest who was in the presence of God. He is better than every sacrifice that any of us could ever offer. He is both the sacrifice and the priest and he opens the way for us to know God and encounter him face to face. And as a result of knowing him, we offer ourselves, Romans 12 verse one says, as living sacrifices All that we are, everything that we can give, is our worship to him. So where do we start? Well, I thought we might start with my school motto. It says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It comes from Proverbs 9 verse 10 down in the bottom corner there, or Psalm 111 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, this is not being afraid of God, although we might have reason to be sometimes. This is the kind of fear that is awe, that knows that God is bigger than anything that we know or can imagine. It's a kind of humility in our spirit towards God. That's, That's what the fear of the Lord is. And I want to take you to Job, because Job had an experience, an encounter with God that is something else, really. See, Job had had a good life. Everything had been going well for him. He was well-respected. He had a lovely family. He was a good man. And then everything was stripped away from him. His family, his health, his status, and he was left covered in dirt, sitting on the ground, taking bits of clay pot to scrape the boils that were on his skin. Have you got the general image? Job had some friends, 
And they get a bit of a hard time, really, because they came along to Job and they said, well, have you read this bit in the scriptures? Job went, yes, I have. Do you think it's some sin you've committed? No, I don't think it is. And they thought that they were being encouraging and helpful to Job, but actually they really, really weren't. And eventually Job just kind of, well, he kind of has enough. And he thinks, well, maybe it's time to have a conversation with God about why all this bad stuff has happened. And he wants God to answer him and tell him what's going on. I'm sure we've all been there. So in Job chapter 38 and verse 1, it starts like this. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. I'm feeling that Job thinks it's the other way around. He's asking the questions, God's answering. Uh -uh. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no further. Here is where your proud waves halt. And so on and so on. And God appears in the storm. And he says, look, Job. Look how huge I am. Look how mighty I am. Where were you? Right at the very beginning of time when I set all this in place. And God reveals himself to Job as this mighty, powerful, awesome, poetic, creative God. And Job finds in that space no answers but the presence of God. And so often in our worship, in our encounter with God, it isn't actually answers. It's just the very presence of God that makes the difference between where we are and where we might be in what's going on in our lives. Most of the answers that we have for our troubled times are only a little bit helpful anyway. Because often there are no answers. But the presence of God in the dark place, the revealed presence of God who just simply says to all our questions, I am, is enough. And through the Bible, what we see is a story of significant encounters with the living God. And if you don't mind, I'm going to go through one or two of those with you this morning and just read you some odd verses, really, just to get a sense of what it's like when God draws near so we start with Abraham and Sarah, and God called Abraham, and in chapter 12 and verse 7, it says this, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him, and this is what we see time and again. God reveals himself, he speaks, and then they build an altar to worship, because it was that moment of sacrifice, to worship God. And then we have this beautiful story of Hagar. 
She was uh, Abraham and Sarah's maid. And when they had been waiting a long time for God to make his promise fulfilled that they would give birth to a son, they lost faith with what God had said. It's just getting lower and lower. And, um, and so they decided that it would be good if perhaps Abraham conceived a child with his servant. But when he had, he wasn't so happy about it. And so he sent Hagar into the wilderness, into the desert on her own. And he left her there. She just thought she was going to die. She was an outsider. She was a slave. She was just going to die. She called out to God. And God came close to her. The angel of the Lord revealed himself to her. And at the end of this chapter 16 in verse 13, she says this. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Is that not what worship is? You are the God who sees me. I have seen the one who sees me. And when we come to worship and we lift our eyes and our songs and our prayers, we see him. We see him again, faithful, good, loving, kind, compassionate. We tell his stories in our songs. We see him and in that moment he sees us in our frailty and brokenness, in our joy and our thankfulness. He sees us. And Isaac, in Genesis 26, verse 25, God reveals himself to Isaac Chapter 20, uh, sorry, verse 24. From that night, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. And guess what? Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well. God speaks, God reveals himself. Isaac builds his altar. He also pitches his tent there in the place of God's encounter and his worship of him. And then Jacob, you remember the story of Jacob? Jacob lay down his head on a rock for a pillow. Let's hope you all have better pillows than that. And maybe as a result, or maybe something more supernatural, he had this amazing dream, and he sees the angels going up and down the ladder, and he names that place, surely the Lord is in this place, I have seen his face. Is that not also what worship and encounter is about? And Moses, as well as meeting God at the burning bush, he meets with God face to face in the tent of meeting, so much so that his face shines with the glory of God. You know, there are occasions, aren't there, where you are so in the presence of God that you kind of wonder, you think, is my face, does it look a bit different? I mean, at least does it look a little bit more smiley? if not actually full of glory. Can people tell when we've been in the presence of God? Should they be able to tell when we've been in the presence of God? In Exodus 33, it talks there about wherever the pillar of fire was and wherever the pillar of cloud was, there was the very presence 
of God amongst them. And I could have spoken about David in all the Psalms, because there we have the songbook of the Old Testament. And if you don't know what to pray or sing for yourself, take a psalm. That's what people have been doing since David wrote them, going, oh, I'm not really good at this poetry stuff. Let me take one of David's psalms. And we have sung them to all manner of tunes throughout every generation. Because David was able to worship and lead the people in the worship of God. And then we have Elijah in 1 Kings 19. He found himself absolutely wrung out in a place of depression after such a high place, frightened, alone. The angels came to him and they fed him. Do you remember how God appeared to Job in the storm? And he appeared to Moses in the fire. He didn't appear to Elijah like that. Not in the storm and not in the fire, but in the sound of a gentle whisper. See, our God reveals himself to us as we need. And sometimes he shouts in the storm and sometimes he blazes in glorious fire and sometimes he columns alongside us in the gentlest of whispers to meet us where we are. And Isaiah, who met God in the temple in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up And the train of his robe filled the temple. And he was surrounded by seraphs. With two wings they flew. Two wings they covered themselves. And they sounded out these words. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and who is and who is to come. And Isaiah says immediately, woe to me. I am a person of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king. Because he is holy And to Isaiah, he revealed himself as holy as he still does to us. And he met with Jeremiah and commissioned him, even though he was young and insecure. And he met with Ezekiel and revealed himself in amazing visions and dreams. Read them, Ezekiel 1, through to 3. And Ezekiel is so overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord that he cannot even describe it. So there's wheels within wheels and glory and eyes and colors like every precious stone that we have ever laid eyes on. And I saw one who seemed like the likeness of the glory of the Son of Man. He cannot describe what he sees of the glory of God. And the same God who revealed himself to Daniel. Do you get it? And these are not everybody. God reveals himself and makes himself known so that we can respond to him in worship, in giving of ourselves, whatever that looks like in that moment. Of course, our New Testament encounters are a little bit different, aren't they? And I won't go through all of the Gospels, but I just chose a few people here. Mary. This is the Mary who went into the house when Jesus was eating with the Pharisees there. And she wiped his feet with her hair. Do you understand how outrageous that was? I mean, like no woman would ever go into a meal like that. Like not ever. 
Maybe she might have crept round the back with a new jar of water and put it on the table and gone away again without anyone noticing. No woman would ever come right into the center where the rabbi sat. No woman would ever have her hair loose like that. Only prostitutes went around like that. She came in as she was. She took this really expensive, the most costly perfume that she could lay her hands on. She broke it over Jesus' feet. And then she knelt down, got her hair and wiped her feet. Have you any idea how outrageous that was? How inappropriate. Have you ever found yourself thinking, looking around and thinking, well, that was a little bit inappropriate how they were worshipping. We have no concept of the word inappropriate. This woman knew that Jesus loved her and no one else did. He knew her. Nobody else did. And she wanted to give him that absolute best that she could. And the best that she could give was this perfume and her presence. And if they threw her out or they spoke about her behind her back... Or they accused her. It didn't matter because the main thing was her worship of Jesus. Does it cost us that much? I am so self-conscious. So aware of what everyone else is thinking or doing. You know what? It's only Jesus that really matters, isn't it? And Peter, poor Peter, Remember they're having that conversation at Caesarea Philippi and Jesus was saying, who do you say that I am? And they were like, oh, we think you're Elijah. We think you're John the Baptist. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, a statement of worship. But sometimes that's where we have to start. This is who you are, Jesus. I don't feel anything today. My life isn't doing great today, but today I'm going to say this is who you are. You are Jesus Christ, Messiah, Son of God. I'm going to start there and we'll build on that. And what about Thomas? You know, Thomas's life had been ripped apart. This Jesus he'd followed for three years had died. He'd gone. He'd been crucified. He was in a tomb. And Thomas, with all his questions... Was it worth it? Should I have invested the last three years doing something more useful with my life? Was any of what he told me true? Or is it all a lie? What am I going to do now? Where am I going to go? So disappointed. So frustrated. And Jesus, risen from the dead, appears to them in a room, doesn't he? And he goes to Thomas. And he says, Thomas, Look at my hands and look at my feet. Put your hands in the scars. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And sometimes worship comes from the darkest place, doesn't it? There is nothing that you can bring of your own. Everything's a disaster. Everything's a disappointment. Everything has questions. It feels like Jesus has let you down. But in the moment when you draw close to him and you look at his hands and his feet, maybe all you can say is, my Lord and my God, it's just, just a small whispered call of worship that says, you're here and I'm still here. And that's it. 
And of course, in the early church, things started to change as the Holy Spirit came upon the church at Pentecost and they started to speak in other tongues and experienced the presence of God among them in a new way. And it says that they gathered together in the temple courts forever, praising God and worshipping him and in their homes. Because wherever they were together, they just wanted to say, isn't Jesus amazing? Our Lord, our Savior, our friend, the one who laid down his life on the cross for us, our Redeemer, the one who loves us, he's with us. Oh, come on, somebody write another song. And Acts 10 and 11, I put that because that's where us lot, the Gentiles, get brought in. And the Holy Spirit comes on the Gentiles and they are incorporated into this worshipping community. In 1 Corinthians 14, it talks there about how we worship a little bit, that, that this is all of us together, worshipping. This is not Sarah today in the band or whoever it happens to be. This is all of us bringing all that we are to worship. And so some of you bring a word, and some of you bring a prophetic word, and some of you are going to bring prayers of healing this morning. And some of you are going to discern what's going on. Because this is us together in Colossians 3, it says it more shortly. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And we come together and we sing the psalms. We, we sing the words of scripture, don't we, together. And it's really good when we do that. And we sing hymns, and I kind of imagine those to be the kind of things that are written in the church at any given time. And if you look at the history of worship through the church, you'll see that it represents its time. And that's the right thing that we should be doing, singing out of our context and the things and the rhythms and the songs of our time. And then it says singing spiritual songs, and that seems to me to mean those sort of more spontaneous things that maybe come out of your own time with God when you're not so self-conscious. Or maybe it comes when the music is so loud that no one can hear you, so you're less self-conscious conscious but somewhere there should be those songs from our own hearts to God shouldn't there and maybe they'll not be the ones that ever end up on a cd but the spontaneous songs of our hearts of worship to God and of course there is that vision of what is yet to come we get half an hour of silence in heaven and then after that we worship the lamb around the throne for all eternity. No sore throats, no laryngitis, no I wonder whether or not I remember to put the dinner on. None of the things that so distract us, you know, our normal humanity, our aches and pains, our concerns about family and friends, the things that are actually part of our worship in this present moment, our fears for the state of our world, our care for our brothers and sisters across the globe today who are not finding church as easy as we are. But in the presence of God forever, those things will be sorted. And we will just be captivated by his presence. And if we can have just a glimpse of that right now, well, that has to be a good thing, doesn't it? 
Because don't we pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And my aim is for as seamless a transition from earth to heaven as is possible. And so in our church, we aim to create opportunities for people to engage with God. We don't take full responsibility for this, by the way. (laughs) But we aim to create those opportunities. And for some of you, for some of us, that will be in one of our Sunday services. And it may be that one form of worship helps more than another one does. And we have differences in our ages, we have differences in our seasons of life. And sometimes different approaches to worship help us in different times, and that's how it is. But we aim to create space for us to encounter God. We sing songs not just to fill the space before the preaching, but to remind ourselves of the truth of who God is, to tell the story, to sing out our testimony. You know, this last week, for the first few days, we were at a conference, and one of the songs that we sung at the beginning just has this line in it, which just felt really important to me on that day, and it was this, all my life you have been faithful. That was it. Right? We sung all the rest of the song, all its three verses and 10 million choruses and a bridge. That was the one line. All my life you have been faithful. That one line enabled me to cross the bridge from where I was to, the pres- to a sense of the presence of God. All my life you have been What is it for you this morning? What's been the, the one thing that's made you go, yes, today? Yes, God, this is who you are. I'm here. I'm here. You know, this morning, I was standing next to Ali. He has his whole body, soul, and voice singing, you are good, so good. Just beautiful. You know, it's just a connection, isn't there, between where we are and the presence of God and our desires to create the opportunities. And it might be in your small group where you just encounter God through the conversation, through the Bible study, through your prayer. Maybe you even brave and sing. It may be in a prayer triplet where you feel safe and known and loved and you can encounter God in that space. It may be as you put some music on at home and you just spend your own time in the presence of God. The team laugh at me because I quite often have Gregorian chants on. I would never sing or be in a place with Gregorian chants, really. I mean, it's kind of not really my thing, but when I'm starting to prepare for stuff, I just find that steady, almost silent, repetitive, millennial-old worship does something to my spirit. This isn't the time for a talk about worship, although theoretically this is a talk about worship, but... um, You know, one of the Greek words that's used is this one, proskuneo, and it means reverence or worship. It it has a sense of coming towards to kiss. It's that intimacy, intensity. It's a part of our worship that's really important, isn't it? To be in the near place to God, to draw close, to celebrate the fact that we, the, the curtain was torn in two, that we can be in the Holy of Holies, in the presence of Jesus. 
I don't know whether you kneel. I don't know whether you lie on the floor. I don't know if you ever do that in private rather than in public, but it's that kind of idea, isn't it? That, you know, the word for glory is the same word as for heavy, cavards. It's that, almost that sense that the presence of God weighs something in the place. That actually you cannot stand any longer because the weight of the presence of God means that you have to kind of get lower down to the floor. It's that kind of thing. And then there's this kind of latreia worship, that whole life worship. You know, worship is not the singing of songs, though it is the singing of songs. I wonder how many of us, our Sunday worship is the overflow of our Monday through Saturday, or whether it's just the kind of add-on. By the way, if it's the add-on, don't feel too guilty, because that'll be true for all of us, some of the time at least. But how brilliant is it when we know that Monday to Saturday there's been those places of encounter and so on Sunday when we come in we're just like yes let me at it (laughs) because because it's the overflow of our hearts it's the fact that our work life and our home life and our leisure time those are all places of worship where we give to God everything that he has already given to us he is Lord all of the time and on Sundays And this is the other one, liturgia, it's the work of the people, where we join together in making an act of expressing God's worth and living it out. You know, that's what we're doing with Christians Against Poverty. We're saying, because God is compassionate, because God cares for the poor, because we've had an encounter with that kind of God, together we want to reach out to others so that they meet the same God. We feed the hungry because we know the provision of God, because we know he cares for those. He sees the unseen. He knows them. So we give out of the grace that we have received, don't we? We offer hospitality in our church because because God has welcomed us. And who are we to be welcomed by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? But he has because of Jesus. So we welcome other people. It's what we do together as the church, living it out in the world. So... Just a couple of things to wrap up. First of all, we are a worshipping church. I, I hope you get that. I mean, whether you like it or not, you've got two leaders, ministers, who both lead worship, so therefore we're quite passionate about it. We are a worshipping church, and in the presence of God we find strength and hope and reminders of who God is. We worship in spirit and in truth, and that's just not a nice little phrase. This is the truth. And Jesus, he is the truth. And so we take very seriously the word of God. And it is at the heart of what we do, because through it, Jesus is revealed to us. God is revealed to us through his word. So we gather around his word and around him, Jesus, the truth. And we worship him by the spirit of God because he works among us, because he's here, because Jesus left him to be with us in spirit and in truth. We believe in authentic and true spirituality. What I mean by that is that we don't think that we need to pretend. You know, we turn up as we are, don't we, to church. And some of us are going to be great 
And some of us are going to look great and be not great. And some of us are going to not look great and not be great. (laughs) And all of those things are fine. Because actually, Jesus met people where they were. And he still meets people where they are. And so where we come now is authentically, if we are in a mess, we are at least here in a mess. If we're walking through really dark times, we are trying to draw near to God in the dark times. It's so important. And you will look around and think everyone else is fine. It is not true. Some people are. But we are real in the presence of God. And if all you can do is to sit here, or stand at the back, or be here for some of it, or utter the smallest hope of a prayer, or one line of a song, but you are here, that is enough. Because this is about meeting God where we are. It is about personal encounter and bringing those personal encounters together as we worship together. This is not all there is. And really it's not enough actually, is it? It's not like some kind of shot in the arm that gets you through till next Sunday. There's supposed to be a few encounters in between. And we believe, and we'll talk more about this, but in prayer and an openness to the Holy Spirit. You know, we have a God who's alive. So let's not behave like he isn't. And we have a God who speaks. And we expect that. We anticipate that we will meet with God. We don't assume it, but we anticipate it. Is it not the hugest privilege that we can meet together with the living God? Is that not just simply amazing? That by his grace, he opened a way for us to meet him. I mean, that's it, isn't it? And we all come through the same door, and it's the cross. And we all come on the same level, and it's the grace of Jesus. So don't look around and think everyone's better than you or worse than you even, but just look at Jesus and meet him. I forgot it was communion, <laughs> even those behind me. We will do that. Have a look.